0: This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, coaching third base, it's harder than it looks. You learn that you got to pick up the trail runner. You learn that you have to pay attention to how outfielders approach balls. You have to pay attention to infielders' arms on the cut, how catchers block the ball when there's a runner on third base. They block it hard. They block it strong. I mean, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. Did you get all that? Drew's guest this week is the Rockies' new third base and infield coach, Warren Schaefer. Plus, Drew's breaking down the Super Bowl. Where do we stand in the GOAT conversation? for quarterbacks, or tight ends for that matter. What's next for Eric Enemy? And there's new MLB rule changes to be broken down like only Drew can. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts, and tell a friend. This is the Drew
1: Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 189, and uh, the Super Bowl is done. I think everybody is probably going through withdrawal symptoms. There will not be any football no Pro Bowl flag football either, uh, in the coming days. I guess the USFL is starting up again and there'll be other types of football. But but for me, it it's the pause button that we all push. I've told you this before. People have come up to me during the baseball offseason and say, Man, you must be, you know, depressed. You must be um you know, going through withdrawal symptoms because baseball is over. And I always say, no, I love, love, love the game of baseball. I love and have the great privilege of broadcasting baseball, but there is a time frame, And when that seven plus month season ends, you want a break. It rekindles your love for the game in the off season. And I can't wait now to get down to Scottsdale, and I'll be down there in, uh, in the next uh, week to 10 days. I absolutely love it. It's my favorite time of year down there, and, and I'm getting fired up for the game starting up. But, you know, when, when we're in November, December, I'm all in on football. And so now football takes a pause, and that's a good thing. So when football arrives again in the latter part of August, Man, we're all geared up and we're fired up for uh, the first college games, the high school games on Friday night, and obviously the NFL on Sunday. The Super Bowl was great entertainment. It was a fabulous game, tremendous buildup for 58-plus minutes, and then, unfortunately, a whimper for a finish. And uh, I'm sure everyone who watched this game, was it, 113 million-plus – You know, has an opinion on the flag that was thrown. Let me begin here before I talk specifically and only momentarily about that play. And that is, you've heard me on many occasions go off on officiating, especially in football. Nobody wants to see a flag fast. Nobody wants to see a flag every other play. And there are NFL games that we watch during the regular season where that is the case. And I do hope moving forward that. The league realizes, and they have so many different rules, that unless it's an egregious infraction, please keep the flag in your pocket. And, and I've often used the Super Bowl as an example, that the Super Bowl, you there's a dearth of flags. And it's not because, okay, these are the two best teams and they never um, commit a foul or some kind of infraction. It's not the case. It's just the officials err on the side of, it's got to be really... As I said, egregious, a real blatant foul to throw a flag, and that's why it's a joy to watch. You're seeing the players play. You're seeing, um, you know, play to play a smoothness. There, there's a tempo to the game that is not interrupted by a plethora of flags. Now, specifically, that last call, by the letter of the law, was that defensive holding. I don't think there's any question. There was there was a couple of tugs of the jersey, and James Bradbury said as much after the game. He said, "I know I grabbed his jersey. I was hoping they would let it go." Now the game was officiated in such a manner, typical of Super Bowls, as I just mentioned, where there weren't many flags. They were quote unquote letting them play. I didn't break down every uh, you know. I don't I don't have you know an all twenty two as they. You know, say in the, in the coaching fraternity that where you can look at uh, every player on the field and look back and go, "Oh man, there was defensive holding. There was defensive holding, and nothing was called earlier in the game." But in fairness to the official that threw the flag, he's looking at it and he sees a grab of the jersey and then maybe another, and so therefore, you know, he threw the flag. I do like what was said. In the aftermath of the game from Philadelphia, one play does not determine the outcome uh, of a game. And though this took away what could have been a thrilling finish, maybe it's a field goal for Kansas City and we get to see Jalen Hurts with the football in, you know, less than a two minute drill, right? Trying to either tie it up or go ahead. So we were robbed of that, but it was an infraction. I mean, it wasn't infraction. I wish it wasn't called. It wasn't awful. It wasn't it, I, I look at it both ways. It wasn't It wasn't the worst call I've ever seen by a long shot. But I wish it wasn't called. Great football game, though. Great, great football game. Jalen Hurts was magnificent, and not just because he ran for seventy plus yards and and they had that great quarterback sneak. Who, by the way, everybody, everybody. It's a copycat league in sports, right? If you have success and you do something that is looked upon as unique in any sport, you're going to see it from virtually everyone the following year. So, next year, you're going to see kind of that tight rugby almost look on quarterback sneaks, and you're going to see, you know, the push from behind. You were starting to see it with some teams uh, in the latter part of the season. That's going to be commonplace in the NFL because you can't stop Philadelphia. When it's fourth and one, I mean it's like automatic. And um, anyhow, Jalen Hurts gets in the end zone three times and throws for another touchdown. He dropped the football. I mean that was, you know, trying to, you know, trying to change hands when it looked like Philadelphia, with the ball up fourteen to seven, had a chance to create significant separation in that first half from Kansas City, a half that they were really dominating dominating in terms of moving the ball, dominating certainly in time of possession. And then he unfortunately uh, dropped the football and it turned into a, a defensive touchdown and that kept Kansas City in it and we know what happened uh, in the second half. But Jalen Hurts was unbelievable, again, not just because of his ability to run the ball. His, his ball placement on a number of passes, how about that Dallas Goddard throw? I mean, was that picture perfect? I mean, if that was Tom Brady, we'd just be singing his praises. Jalen Hurts has improved tremendously in his ability to throw. And he was out of this world good. All year long he was. But in the Super Bowl, he was out of this world good. He played better than Patrick Mahomes. And Mahomes played splendidly. I mean, he only had one incompletion completion in the second half. And as we talked about uh, a week or two ago about the the true, you know, changing of the guard with quarterbacks, I used to say a couple of years ago on this podcast that we talk about the same guys at, at quarterback where nothing's really changed over a decade plus. I mean, Peyton Manning stepped away, but forever it was Brady and Manning and Drew Brees, and they were the same cast of guys that we looked upon as, okay, this is the upper echelon of quarterbacks and then there's a next tier and a third tier etc well there's a whole new breed they're super exciting and and Jalen Hurts has skyrocketed up that ladder and he's you know you go into next year and you know, Vegas is going to have him as one of the odds-on favorites to to win the MVP, and he was second this year. It was a great matchup. You know what I find interesting? Also, Patrick Mahomes. Love Patrick Mahomes. He's he, he seems like a just a good guy by all accounts. He's a great guy. We know what kind of player he is. Uh, for goodness' sake. Um, but you had the two best guys competing against each other. But I also find it comical where we we have this this. Notion and, and some of it is, and I, and I understand it, with the talk shows in the morning, Stephen A. Smith show, First Take, which I'm a big fan of, you know, Shannon Sharps deal on Fox, where, you know, we have to have debates and arguments. And, and a lot of them are contrived. You know that. You're bright enough to see that. Um, but we always have to have the GOAT conversation. Is Patrick Mahomes the GOAT? Well, I mean, he's 27 years old. Let the whole career play out. Do we know he's one of the greatest to play the position already? Yes. But comparing eras is so difficult. Comparing styles is difficult. The quarterback position is played differently and with a different set of rules, quite frankly, and notably, than it was for a long time. I mean, Terry Bradshaw never fully gets his due because there were so many great players on that Steelers team in the first uh, you know, a couple of Super Bowl championship Steelers teams were built around that um, otherworldly defense with Mean Joe Green and Jack Lambert and, and Jack Ham and, you know, all Elsie Greenwood. They had so many great, great players. Donnie Schell on the back end. But got the quarterback got their ass beat. I mean, the hits Joe Montana took. I was telling one of my boys that you got to look up. The Jim Burt, remember Jim Burt, a uh, really good nose tackle for the Giants. And you go back uh, when they won the, the – they shocked the 49ers on the road and won the NFC Championship game. I think it was was all the way back in uh, – wasn't it eighty 86? I think it was the ninety season when they ended up beating Buffalo. But you go back on that one, yeah, it was Buffalo uh, year. And he absolutely almost decapitated Joe Montana – on back then was a super clean hit. In today's game, he would have been flag... Everybody who had a flag would have thrown the flag. He probably would have been thrown out of the game for unnecessary roughness. So it was difficult to play quarterback back then. It's difficult to play quarterback in today's game. But there's also this feeling of protection where for the most part, the quarterback knows he's not going to take an enormous hit. And that has to be, and I've talked to NFL quarterbacks about this. It's really, it's it's comforting knowing that you aren't going to get blown up. Tom Brady, you know, because his career went on for 400 years, when he first came in, uh, yeah, he played in that era where you could still get after the quarterback and hit them significantly. And then in his later years, as you know, Anybody who breathed on Tom Brady, and really most quarterbacks, but especially Brady, it it drew a flat. So I think when we compare errors and we say, oh, Patrick Mahomes is clearly the greatest ever, I get it. It's talk show fodder. It's radio talk show fodder. I I don't like to indulge in those things. I know what I'm watching. I know that Mahomes is terrific. I'm thrilled that we're going to get to watch him selfishly for another 10 years at minimum, one would think. I'm excited about Burrow, love what you saw from Hertz. Um, you know, big fan of Josh Allen. It's a new era of quarterback and it's a new era of the type of quarterback play and it's it's a joy to watch. So I'll leave it at that. Um, the Super Bowl overall, again, terrific. Hats off in addition overall to Kansas City in that, you know, they lose Tyreek Hill And they still have a prolific offense. Some of that's Travis Kelsey. Were you saying the same thing I was at the start of that game? If you are Philadelphia, you're looking in and you're saying, all right, as they game plan, we got to take Travis Kelsey away. It's almost analogous to a certain degree in baseball where there's always one guy in the lineup you're going to make sure doesn't beat you. You say, okay, you know, we're, we're going to work around this guy. You know, we're not going to let Mike Trout or the Angels beat us. We're not going to let Aaron Judge beat us. If you're playing the Yankees and it's a close game late, if there's a way of working around a player of that ilk. Well, you go in and and you're Philadelphia and you're saying, well, we got to take away Travis Kelsey. We can't let Kelsey beat us. But from the opening series, Kelsey's wide open. Kelsey's the main target for Mahomes. Next thing you know, Kelsey's in the end zone. Pretty remarkable. He's going to go down, clearly. I'm not going to debate whether it's him or Gronk or or Antonio Gates or Tony Gonzalez. But he's going down, especially with his postseason numbers, as in that conversation for the greatest tight end uh, of all time. But Kansas City uh, was able to remain prolific offensively, even after losing a player with the abilities of Tyreek Hill. The biggest factor in that football game, when you step back, and I'm sure you have at this point, and you think about it, super entertaining, right? And it's a 38-35 final. The reason I picked Philadelphia to win, and so many others did, it wasn't like you know I had you know the market cornered on some uh, earth-shattering um, evaluation of, of this game. But Philadelphia had this phenomenal front four, third most sacks of any front four in the history of the game. Since they've been keeping track of sacks, you have to go back, I think, to the 85 Bears. And we know how good that defense was. And she felt like they're going to get after and, and make a play or two or three, maybe even cause a turnover, strip fumble, that that kind of thing, sack, uh, you know, with a sack, getting the ball on the ground. They They didn't, they weren't any good. They gave up. Thirty-eight points, and had Butker not gone doink on an ex- on a forty-two-yard field goal in the first half, they would have scored forty-one points. You scored more than thirty in an NFL game. You probably didn't play great defense. You allow a team in the upper thirties or forty—bad day at the office. So Philadelphia, you know, again, this is not revelatory. They didn't play well on defense didn't play well at all, and it was expected that they would make some plays, and they certainly didn't make any uh, in the second half. One other uh, note I made in the aftermath of the game, Andy Reid, who, again, by all accounts, we know he's a tremendous coach, tremendous offensive mind, very innovative, uh, very creative, um, and a good guy. He went out of his way. He's done this in the past, but I mean, he even ratcheted it up a couple of notches. Everything he said after the game, on the field, in the locker room, the next day at the press conference, was a salutation toward Eric Biennami. I mean, he is trying to get and has been for a few years trying to push the cause of Eric Biennami to become a head coach. Uh, in the NFL. And it may be that Eric Bieniemy has to go somewhere else as an offensive coordinator so he's not always attached to Andy Reid. Um, that may be the case. But for me, and I've said this many, many times when we talk about head coaches and certainly I was talking a lot about it when the Broncos were looking for a head coach, it's not about oh, we don't have a strong offense, we got to hire a guy that has a reputation for being a strong offensive mind. It's about leadership. And that person could be a current position coach, could be a current position coach on a mediocre type of NFL team. And we raise the stature of coordinators when they're fortunate enough to be on a team that wins big and we say that's got to be the next guy. Doesn't mean they're I'm sure they have they're solid leaders, right? They wouldn't probably have risen to that level if they were not, but it doesn't mean they're the best leader. I always use Mike Tomlin as an example. He was a position coach many years ago, and he ends up getting the Pittsburgh Steelers job. How'd that one work out? And so with Eric Bienemy. I'm not privy to how he interviews. I'm not privy to what ownership and general managers think as to why they've always opted to go in a different direction after interviewing Eric Um uh, But I did find it you know, interesting that Andy Reid is doing it his absolute all to try to get him uh, an opportunity. And it doesn't appear like it's going to happen this year, clearly. And, you know, maybe he goes somewhere else in his offensive coordinator. Or maybe, maybe he just stays put and says, you know what? I got a great gig. Certainly makes a lot of money. They win a ton of football games, as we know. They're always going to be a Super Bowl con- contender as long as 15 is uh, is healthy, upright, and, and uh, playing for the Chiefs. And maybe when Andy Reid moves on, whenever that day comes, maybe he's the heir apparent. Uh, but um, I did want to make mention of that. All right, transitioning from the Super Bowl to baseball. Told you, I'm all fired up, man. Really excited about the start of baseball. Heading to spring training uh, shortly. I was looking at a video today that I that I was privy to that you know broadcasters um, get. It was put out by Major League Baseball, and and it went over the rules. The rule changes, and it was almost you know I think it was like about an hour and ten minutes in length and it was comprehensive and and it came with slides and it was really well done and We know of the rules you as a as a good sports fan, a good baseball fan, you know the rule changes coming right the the fact that there's going to be a pitch clock twenty seconds um when Uh, there's someone on base, 15 seconds, if no one's on base, you got to deliver the ball uh, to the plate. You can only disengage the rubber uh, twice, the third time if you do and you try to pick, uh, you have to get an out. If not, it's uh, the the runner, it's a balk, the runner will be awarded uh, second base, um, the shifts. So there's all these rules. And again, I'm not going to go in grand detail about them. We'll have plenty of opportunity to do that. But I found the video to be most interesting because there's some things that you don't think of. Okay, what if there's kind of, you know, guys tying their shoelaces multiple times, you know, to try to slow things down or, you know, pretending that a fly flew in their eye multiple times. I mean, who knows what will transpire to try. You know, when there's a new rule, you people will always try to circumvent it, Right. Well, to answer that, a lot of it will be at the discretion of the umpires. Now, if a fly, you know, flies in the batter's eye, he can step out. And there, by the way, the rules for the for the hitter too. With eight seconds to go on that pitch clock, he has to be engaged in the batter's box, looking at the pitcher. If not, it could be an automatic strike call. So, it's going to be a lot on the umpires. But here's the bottom line with that pitch clock in AAA. They utilized it all of last year. The previous season, they did not. They trimmed 25 minutes off a AAA game on average. 25 minutes. That's significant. It, it really is. If you're talking about the sport being played on average close to two and a half hours as opposed to 305, 310, and more in line with what we saw for those of us that were watching baseball in the 70s, when there were two and a half hour games. I've told this story before. It reminds me of the, the late and unbelievably great Vince Scully walking out of the visitor's booth, which is right next to our booth, the television booths, you know, sit next to each other at Coors Field. And he, he walks out after a, one of those marathon Rockies games. And uh, I was walking out of our booth and he, and he Looks at me in that beautiful voice of his, and he says, "Drew, don't they play any crisp two-hour and twenty-minute games here?" And I chuckled and I said, "Nah, not here, Vin." And guess what? They're gonna start playing more crisp two-hour and twenty-five-minute games, two-hour and thirty-five-minute games. Um, I think there will be the you know more action. Fans want more action. They want the ball and play more. And the studies, the data that they've been able to attain from the leagues that have had the pitch clock, AAA and some of these rule changes, I I do think it will be a positive change. I think there will be a learning curve, certainly through spring training, through the opening month or two of the season, as the pitchers adjust, as the hitters adjust, and as the umpires, quite frankly, adjust. But I do think it's going to make the product better now i want to hit shifts for a moment you know that you can't have three on the right side or three on the left side and you can't have the short fielder at least among infielders everybody's feet have to be on the dirt and uh, by the way they're going around baseball and lasering so all the infields are exactly the same so the the dirt will end at the same spot. It's 95 feet um from the front of the rubber, it's not going to be one ballpark where, hey, it's actually we're going to carve out the dirt a little further. We're going to get an extra five feet to help out our defense. You can't do that. It's going to, there's going to be uniformity. Um, but getting back to the shifts, I said this probably on, on this show, and, and many of you probably thought this, that the minute you have rule changes, it's the job of front offices, um, analytics departments, coaches... Managers to say, okay, well, how how can we gain an advantage? How can we how can we circumvent this to a, a certain degree? How can we manipulate the rule? So one of the first things is you say, okay, I'm going to start my shortstop against the power left-handed hitter that we always shifted on, and we're going to um, start him, you know, by rule on the dirt, just a a skosh on the left side of the bag, and then as the pitcher lifts his leg and, and delivers the ball to plate he's going to run in some fashion to the right side to ostensibly put the shift back on. And I didn't realize this until I watched the video. Uh, 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 can't do that. They are not allowing that. There is not going to be a circumvention of the rules. And guess what? It is open to video interpretation. So you can challenge it and say, hey, let's watch the video. Did this guy move to the, you know, to the right side before the, you know, was he was he running before the pitch was in play? And if that's the case, then it will be an automatic ball. If the ball was put in play, you get the result of what happened. So if a guy hits the ball out of the ballpark, it's not like they're going to take that away. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I did think that was um, was really interesting. And the other thing that, that was, you didn't have to talk about it a ton, that could have a A fairly large impact on the game going forward, and that's the pizza boxes for bases. They're not 15-inch squares anymore. They're 18-inch squares. A few more leg hits, right? Because the bag is three inches, bang, bang plays, right? Three inches closer to home plate. Potentially, I know the you know baseball doesn't. It's all about the home run now. People aren't stealing bases, but with only two disengagements allowed, and with the base the bases that direction first to second, four and a half inches closer, maybe we'll see more action on the base pass. Fans want to see that, right? I also thought about this. They're probably going to be uh, uh, a bunch more baseballs. I don't know how many, that actually hit the bag now and ricochet down the line or take away an opportunity for a corner infielder to make a play because they're, you know, they're pizza boxes now. They're 18 inches. So this is going to be, um, you know, really interesting uh, to watch as well. A lot of good stuff coming. I'm excited about it, excited, as I said, uh, to get down to spring training and see how uh, it all unfolds. Uh, by the way, quick... Uh, Congratulations, Buddy Black, back for at least, uh, another year beyond this year. He signed a one-year extension as he did last year. And, you know, you've heard me say this. Um, it's not about the manager. The Rockies have to have better players. Buddy is a great manager, players manager. I think he's a, a good strategist. You gotta have the horses to win, but I'm thrilled that, that Buddy's gonna be back in the fold because dealing with them on a, on a, an everyday basis, um, He's he's top shelf. He's top shelf. And nobody was complaining about Buddy Black in 17 and 18. So as the Rockies hopefully improve their talent level, the wins will come and the game will be properly managed and the clubhouse will be properly managed by Buddy Black. Our subject this week, our interview this week, is Warren Schaefer. Now, if you're a hardcore Rockies fan, you know the name Warren Schaefer. He played in the organization for about a half a dozen years. He played at Virginia Tech. And he, when his career was done, got onto the got into the coaching side. And, and the Rockies quickly um, were enamored with Warren Schaefer and his leadership skills. And he's managed now at three different levels, managed in uh, – believe in Hartford he managed in uh, Asheville originally when Asheville was part of the Rockies organization and uh, recently he was managing in Albuquerque he will take over the uh, infield coaching job that was held by Stu Cole and also take over Stu's um, spot at third base so he'll coach third and that's where you'll notice him most frequently he'll also work with the um, with the infielders Warren's a good man and, um, as much as I'm going to miss Stu Cole, um, I'm also excited for Warren Schaefer. And an opportunity, this is a few months ago, to talk to Warren about his work in the Arizona Fall League with a bunch of talented youngsters. Um, not only Rockies, but one specific Rocky uh, played on that fall league team and did exceptionally well, and that's Zach Fien. Um, so I've been kind of holding this back for a while, and now we're on the cusp of uh, spring training beginning, and pitchers and catchers have already reported, but it'll give you an opportunity to, uh, to learn a little bit more about Warren Schaefer, and again, he is um, reflecting on what just took place uh, in the fall league. And you'll hear about uh, those things and his observations of a young and talented Zach Bean. So, without uh, further fanfare, here is the new Rockies third base coach, Warren Schaefer. Hey Warren, I want to take you back. 2007, the Rockies were making a magnificent run to ultimately the World Series. And you were a young professional having been drafted out of... uh, out of Virginia Tech in the 38th round. What what do you recall about that June and the ensuing summer and and maybe watching from afar the big club?
0: Yeah, I just remember that incredible uh, September they had where they, I mean, they couldn't lose a game. It seemed like, and I don't, know, I don't know how many in a row they won, but they they won a ton in a row and said they, they felt invincible. And I thought, holy cow, I just got drafted by the best organization in the game, man um it was uh it was really exciting especially that first year uh, to feel a part of that you know in, in the same organization you go back to your college days
1: what did you hear about your your draft status what did you think of of potentially i mean if you go to a virginia tech obviously out of high school you're hopeful that that you can make a career professionally um so if you would take us through that period of time
0: yeah i mean uh you know, a, I was, I was a defensive first player, even in college, um, you know, with, uh, you know, a secondary bat. And I always thought, you know, I, I love this game. And if I got an opportunity to play further, um, I would, I would take it and relish it. Um, so I, but I didn't know if I was going to get drafted or not. I mean, there was a couple three teams talking to me, uh, a little bit beforehand. Um, but it turned out the Rockies, Threw me a bone and and, and gave me a thousand bucks as a senior sign and sent me off to uh, Tri Cities, Washington, with Freddie Acasio. And, and uh, three days later, he called me in the office or whatever it was. And, and I thought, holy cow, I got released already. But they, <laughs> sent me, they sent me down to Casper with Tony Diaz, and and uh, that's how I got my start. I mean, it was I, I didn't know if I was done playing or not, and, and they gave me an opportunity.
1: I would think you look back because you know I know Freddie and I know and Tony's not in the organization any longer. But uh, you know I love Tony Diaz. Uh, he's such a positive guy. How much did their influence influence you ultimately, and what you're doing now as as a coach?
0: Yeah, big time. I just talked to Tony earlier today. I mean, uh, still involved. Um, you know, I learned from Tony. I learned from Jerry Weinstein, Dwayne Esty, Mar Foley. Uh, Giddy, who I'm going to be working with this year. Um, you know, he managed me in Double A one year. I mean, it's we had a, whole, a long list of, of good good guys to learn from. Uh, we still do, uh, but we're we're you know we're blessed in this organization to have those guys.
1: I always tell people Warren how difficult it is for even uh, I, I call folks like yourself who get a chance to play professionally, get paid to play. Forget those that make the big leagues. You know, you guys are needles in a haystack, and, and and the ones that make the big leagues, it is so difficult not only to make it, but obviously to stay. Uh, at what point in time did you think, you know what, um, my days are numbered, but I want to stay in the game? How did that unfold?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, my last year playing was 2012, and that year, I mean, I was having no fun going to the yard. It was just it was a bad feeling waking up. Uh, and if, if you're doing that and, and you're, you're not making any money, uh, in the minor leagues and it's a grind. Um, you know, it's it, for me, my wife said, what are you doing it for anymore? So we, you know, I just, I moved on after that season. And, um, you know, my dad, my dad always told me to, that I should do something where I'm helping people. And, and baseball was, was the perfect segue because, uh, I already had it in there. Um, and you know, the boys in the front office back then, Breidich and, and, uh, Wilson, they were running the farm. They gave me an opportunity, you know, they gave me a uh, an opportunity to be a hitting coach in 2013, the year after I quit playing, Um, you know, as a career 210 hitter, man, and they gave me that opportunity to to teach hitters, which (laughs) God bless them, Uh, but, you know, I'm very thankful for that, and I always will be.
1: Do you think sometimes that and you hear this a lot like well for great great players they just assume, hey why can't you do it like I did it where you actually may have more to give and and it's easier for you to teach in that again at the professional level it it was a it was a battle every
0: day, oh yeah, I mean that definitely has something to it I mean um yeah defense was defense was always my thing and easy and that's that's uh that's what i'm teaching most but back when i was a hitting coach i mean i had i had most recently tried everything i tried all the drills all the approaches i mean you name it i tried it so i mean we you know we just got to work and and really i think a good hitting coach is just someone that's always there for the guys whenever they need it and offering a different perspective, working with the hitter. I mean, it's it's more personality, I think. That I, think.
1: I want to talk to you about uh, before before we talk about your latest move, which is to the big leagues. Uh, managing the last few years in AAA, uh, folks in baseball have often said the most difficult place to coach or manage is AAA because some of your roster. Can't wait to get to the next level, naturally. And maybe even a good portion of your roster realize it's probably not happening. So there's not always a ton of happy folks. And there's a wide range of of, of people in where they are in their professional career. Did you find that to be a huge challenge?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it is a challenge. It's, you know, it is definitely the most I've managed pretty much at all levels. And it is the most challenging level to manage. There's no doubt about it. Also, the most rewarding. Um, so when you, when, if you can bring a clubhouse together with, that has all that, that, uh, you know, hodgepodge of personality in it, um, and, and you bring along some of the veterans that, that maybe are a little salty, um, and, and you get them to bring the young guys along. I mean, something special can happen there. I mean, it, it it's, uh, it's definitely ripe for something good to happen. Um, but it is the most challenging. There's a lot of behind closed door, uh, behind, uh, door conversations and, um, you know, your job just transforms, you know, and in a ball, it was, for me, it was all work on the field, all physical work. Uh, and then in AAA, A you know, a lot more psychological, a lot more mental, um, you know, more taking it easy, just relax, you're good, don't worry about it. it it's more that kind of thing.
1: I, I've recounted, you know, through, uh, you know, third person type of, uh, uh, you know, relation of how you tell, which has to be the coolest thing in the world, by the way, you tell a young player, hey, you're going to the big leagues. So tell me your top couple off the top of your head where you got to, you know, tell a player, guess what, you're going to the show.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there's one that is just the, it was the best moment of my entire career. And that was this year with Witten Bernard telling him um, it the, the timing was so perfect um because there there was so often the past 2 years as I ma- when I managed Triple A I would get phone calls late at night when nobody was at the clubhouse and I had to tell the player you know like that's that's how it happened with the late I mean I we were in Sugarland and I had to call him down to the uh you know the lobby of the hotel none, none of his teammates were around so that's not you know it's special for him it's special for me but it's not special for the team like it could be um but with Winton it was everybody was there. It was, uh, you know, just called everybody into the clubhouse and everybody got to experience it together. It was, it was such a beautiful thing. And just seeing guys like, um, you know, like DJ Peterson, who's the same age as Winton, same, same kind of, uh, you know, journey has been through it and just crying for the kid in, in happiness. It just shows you how, how great of a, of a guy Winton is and how special the moment was. Yeah. And,
1: and- you know, I, I don't know if everybody knows Winton will be moving on, you know, again in his journey. Have you talked to him at all? Uh, do you know what his his plans are? Is he does he want to keep on keeping on?
0: Oh, I'm sure. I mean he had a great year. I I just tested with him briefly, but there's Winton ain't the type of quit, especially after the best year of his career. He'll definitely yeah. be playing again. Good for him. So how about your call?
1: Uh, you got a call at, at some point toward the conclusion of the season or after the season, I would assume. And and you're going to the big leagues for the first time. Take us through that, if you would.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I, I knew that I was a candidate for it. I mean, Buddy and Bill told me that when they were in for the for the uh, fall league. You know, they were there for three days uh, with, with with some pitching uh, discussions going on there, and then um, they popped their head in the office and, and let me know I was a candidate, and then uh, you know, I, I got the call. I don't know. Couple weeks later, and and uh, buddy said he wants me to be his third base coach and and uh, infield guy. And I said absolutely, I'm in. So I mean, it's yeah, you know, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for a new challenge. Um, I'm excited to work with the the best players in the world. Um, you know, and and specifically, you know, the infield defense that we have uh, we've got a lot of guys that can really catch the ball and, and play the game the right way.
1: I would assume that some of the transition will be smooth for you in that most of the guys that you're going to coach, let's talk about your infielders first, are guys you've touched at some point, even briefly, uh, like a Tovar for a couple of weeks um, this this past summer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've only had a Tovar for a little bit, you know, 10 days or so, and, and he wasn't completely healthy when he was with me either, so we didn't really get to work that much. Uh, but B-Rod, I mean... I've worked with him since he was 18 years old. I managed him in low A. I managed him in double A. I mean, we've been defensive partners for a very long time. Um, and Mac, I mean, I've worked with Mac for a year. I've known Mac since th- 2013. I mean, it's been a long time. Whenever he whenever he joined the organization, I think it was way back then. But, um, you know, instructional leagues and such with Mac and spring trainings, and we just have a good rapport. So, um, you know, I work with Tolia and, and Trejo a lot. Um, most of the guy Montero, worked with Montero a ton in the past couple years. Um, the only one really that I haven't worked with a ton has is, is been Crony and, and, uh, I think so. I think that's it.
1: Well, Crony, Crony's almost your draft year, man. So, uh, that's why.
0: <laughs> yeah. He knows what he's doing over there. He's pretty good.
1: You know what? He's, he's a lot better than I think historically he's been given credit for. I thought he had a really solid year. Uh, defensively. Coaching third base, I always say this in the course of the year and, and and your predecessor I thought did a great job because you have to make quick decisions, scoreboard dictates, um, you know, when you send you when you send guys, when when you pause, you you know, outfield arms, foot speed, guys underway, how they run, all of those things, and you have to make split second decisions. Um how much did you learn doing it so frequently uh, you know in the, in the minor leagues?
0: Oh, it's definitely a developed skill. I mean, I've done it for the past 8 years. I've never managed a game from the dugout, only from third base. Um and at first, uh you know, not that good. <laughs> not that good, but but as you move on, you know, you get better. You get better. You learn get the positioning, um, you learn that you got to pick up the trail runner, you learn that uh you have to pay attention to how outfielders approach balls. You have to pay attention to infielders arms on the, on the cuts, you know, how, how catchers block the ball when there's a runner on third base, do they block it hard, do they block it strong. You know, what, what do we have to look for? So, I mean, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it um, especially now in the big leagues. I mean, there, you know, I'll be provided with a lot more information um, than yeah. I ever have uh, in terms of preparation. Um, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I mean, it's, Spring training will be a good time for me to get my feet wet uh, with the new guys and, and learning who can score, score from first and, you know, just all that stuff. But I'm really looking forward to it. More with Drew and Rocky's new third base and infield
1: coach, Warren Schaefer, right after this. I'm proud to be aligned with Steel Products. That's S T I H L. I've been telling you about them, bragging on them for more than four years. They make great, great products worldwide. Uh, A ton of their products are made right here in the United States, number one. They have over 10,000 dealers in our uh, great country, and that means you can find one around the corner from you. They handle the pros. They handle the amateurs like us. Just check this out for a moment. If you need a saw, for instance, they have chainsaws. They have hedge trimmers. They have pole pruners. They have multitask tools, gardening tools, forestry tools, cutoff machines, concrete cutters. They have all kinds of mowers and planters, sprayers, bed redefiners, augers and drills on the cleanup side, power washers, blowers, wet and dry backs. It is ridiculous how many products they have. It really is. And they're the best in the business. So you just got to go see them, man. S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, steelusa.com. And uh, you'll be literally and figuratively blown away by all of the products at your disposal. Boyer's Coffee. Love my Boyer's Coffee. In fact, I told you last week, just got a new shipment in, and I keep ordering more. You know, normally I'd have two or three boxes. Now I find myself start three or four boxes at, at a time. And they have some of the jumbo boxes, so you're not going to run through uh, coffee in a week. They've been brewing outstanding coffee, and they've mastered high altitude brewing. Every cup is smooth and smooth, but they've been doing it since 1965. In uh, these parts And I always tell you that they're environmentally Conscious and they're a great Community member And that's not just uh, Scuttlebutt Um, That's not just uh, me talking about it They really are Uh, on the ground and involved in in so many things in the community. And that's why I feel good about supporting them. And I appreciate their support as well over the years. Uh, Check it out at the local market or just go online to boyerscoffee.com. That's boyerscoffee.com and order your coffee today. It'll be at the house within 48 hours. Boyers coffee. Now back to
0: Drew and Warren Schaefer.
1: Yeah, Warren, you've just barely been able to catch your breath because I saw you as you managed uh, the rafters in in the Arizona Fall League, which has to be a cool experience. Not only are you managing, you know, some Rockies, and we'll talk about uh, a couple of those guys in a moment, but you're also – managing guys that uh, you're going to see in all likelihood at the big league level, wearing a different uniform. Uh, some of the elite prospects, quite frankly, in the game. How much fun was that experience? Um,
0: you know what? That was a blast because you ne- you never know what it is until you get there and experience it. And, you know, if fir- the first thought is, oh, man, we got another six weeks after the season. You know, I mean, it's like the season's a grind to get through, and especially in AAA. But then um, once you start it, man it was fun it was a lot of fun getting to getting to see those guys close up and watching them mesh as a team uh you know five different teams coming together um it was just it was really special and now here afterward you know the guys get just just got put on the 40 man and you see Parker Meadows get put on and you see uh Connor Thomas just guys that you had um, it's pretty cool well,
1: before we talk about Zach veen talk a little bit about you know maybe a couple of the Rockies prospects that people are less familiar with and what impressed you and and where work needs to be done?
0: Well, we had Bernabelle who was just put on. Um, Bernabelle's a good player. I think he had 140 RBIs or something ridiculous last year. Uh, He plays third base, um, good up and coming, but a young, 20 years old can really defend. I think he's a line drive hitter, Um, you know, tough out at the plate, struggled in the fall league. I think he was tired. Uh, but we also have Grant Levine, who most people should know, I think, and and uh, he had a really nice fall week. Uh line drive hitter, first baseman, has really improved over there for the, over the past couple years. When I see him last, um, just a good overall player, runs the base as well. Uh, who else we got here? We got uh, Stephen Jones, pitched out of the pen, and he's got good stuff. I mean, runs a runs a heater up there, 97. Um, with a good slider, he struggled a little bit in the fall league. He was dealing with uh, a little bit of a hip issue. Uh, Blair Calvo just got put on the forty man a couple days ago. Uh, I'm happy for him, but he really, really tight slider uh, and a, and a two seamer that is, has a ton of movement. Uh, one of those guys can just throw it over the plate and watch it and let it work for him. Um, I'm missing. I'm missing someone. I know. Oh, the Fulford, the catcher. Young uh low A guy. Yeah, he was in Fresno. Yeah, but boy can he catch and throw. Way wait, do you see this kid throw? Uh and solid A Bs. I mean he's gonna be a good catcher in the future.
1: Yeah, you would know better than I would, but I i think this is the deepest uh the Rockies organization has ever been behind the plate with, with prospects. I know Drew Romo gets naturally uh you know a lot of the attention and deservedly so. Willie McIver came up uh you know, late. Uh, th- there's a lot of guys that uh, not only can catch, but hopefully can produce a little bit offensively in the system.
0: Yeah, it's a big time catching uh, organization right now. Your namesake, Goodman. There's a Goodman kid.
1: You know what? He he hits uh, evidently Titanic blast. I'm trying to figure out a way. I've done this on the air, by the way, Warren. I'm kind of claiming him uh, I don't know if I'm going to be an uncle, I'm a cousin. I'm not sure yet how it's going to work, but by God, by the time he gets to the big leagues, we'll be close relations.
0: There you go, man. There you go. Yeah, it's a good catching group. Um, you know, and Servant just got his feet wet up there. I mean, Servant can really catch. Um, you know, I mean, it's just it's a solid group, man. All
1: right, let's talk about Zach Veen. Uh, he, he gets a lot of attention. Uh, he got a lot of attention because he was a top-10 pick coming out of high school. He's an interesting guy for me from afar because you know there's the hit tool, but this guy's fearless on the bases and and has plus speed.
0: I'll let you do a scouting report because he had a great fall. Drew, he this guy he should be interesting to you. He should be interesting to everyone. I haven't I haven't seen a, a kid play like this. Um, I don't think ever. I mean, I I, I hate hyperbole and I, I don't I don't use it, but. Honestly, I mean, and the coaches that were with me in the fall, just just the audacity that he plays with is really refreshing and impressive. I mean, he's scared of nothing. I mean, he twice this fall, uh he walked, the ball went to the backstop and he took second base on the same play. Um he just dares people to throw. Now, is he going to get thrown out at the upper levels? Sure he is. But he's also going to put the defense on their heels. I mean, on their toes and, and make them make mistakes. I mean, he's a type, type of guy that you want on your team. Um, always looking to take the next base. Uh, sometimes when he's on first, he like gives it that foot rev up like he's on a mo- motorcycle. I mean, you're like, what are you doing, man? But then he takes the bag. Um, you know what? He's not plus plus speed. It's really, it's, it's good speed. It's, it's, it's base stealing ability speed, but it's not like, you know, he's not Garrett Hansen fast. Uh, he's not Sam Hilliard fast. He's just, uh, he's fearless and he's smart. He's really, really smart. And I think he will adjust as he, as he plays AAA ball, um, where you have better catchers and, and better, you know, better timed pitching. Um, he'll make the adjustment and he'll get his bags a different way, but he's not going to quit. Uh, and, and he's got, and you're right, he's got the hit tool and I think that the power, this best swing, there's no way power won't come eventually. Um, but he's he's a guy that you want on your team. Yeah, it, it, when
1: a guy is drafted there and, and he's produced some minor league numbers now, uh, and especially where the Rockies are given the last couple of years have been tough ones, uh, the fan base is looking for that guy to be the next. And, and we know who the previous guys were, the Nolans and the Trevor Stories. Uh fair or unfair to to make those kind of I don't want to say he's gonna become Nolan Arenado. I mean Nolan's on a Hall of Fame trajectory, but uh in different positions clearly. But you know, do you perceive in the future that this guy's gonna be a plus offensive player and, and you know be able to impact the game in a number of ways?
0: I do. Yeah, no one's Nolan, that's for sure. Um but I'll tell you, uh Zach Veen I would never ever bet against him. Never. I mean, he's the type of guy that'll take that and just want to spit in your face. Right. I mean, he—I I, would—I would never, never bet against him. Yes, he, he does have that ability, and I think as he gets older, you know, the sky's the limit.
1: Yeah, interesting. Is he does he stay in a corner or can he play in the middle?
0: Uh, we don't have him playing center field at all right now. Okay, uh, just just the corners. I'm not sure if uh, you know Skipper will move him out there or not. I'm sure he could do it, but. I think um, he probably plays better on the corners right now.
1: And, and again, I know it's an inexact science, Warren. Last one on, on Zach Veen. Uh, w- what is the timetable you think if, you know, uh, in a perfect world?
0: Uh, again, I wouldn't bet on this uh, against this kid at all. So I would I would say if he goes out and does his thing, I mean, I, I don't see why at some point this year he couldn't be ready to go. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure he's thinking the same thing. You know, I'm, I, just, I know he is, in fact. So, yeah. Now, now will he? I don't know. But I wouldn't bet against it. Yeah.
1: Hey, Warren, I, I really appreciate the time, man. And, and congratulations, first and foremost, on uh, on your promotion. And uh, you're going you're gonna to have to put up with, uh, you know, me and Spilly and Huey and Jenny and our gang
0: quite a bit now. Hey, thanks for having me, Drew. I look forward to working with you.
1: So a big thanks to Warren Schaefer and, uh, you know, he's going to bring energy and he's going to bring positivity, uh, to that, uh, to that Rockies clubhouse. And he's been around a lot of the guys, um, that will comprise the next generation of not only Rockies players, but hopefully a couple emerge. Um, and it's necessary for them to emerge as stars in the coming, uh, couple of years, uh, for the Rockies to get back on the, uh, Plus side of 500, and to get into content, excuse me, get into contention later on. Two quick uh, observations on the Avalanche and Nuggets as we uh, put a period on this edition of the Drew Goodman podcast. Um, the Avalanche, you know, they've been giving up third period leads. They're struggling to score in the third period. I just hope. That we're not sitting here in early April talking about, yeah, the, you know, the Avalanche, there was a hangover effect from winning the Stanley Cup. I know you get spoiled and you can't take the Stanley Cup away ever, nor do you want to. What a fabulous season. What an unbelievable run in the postseason, 16 and four, the great parade. But you know, this group is still talented. And I look at Tampa and Tampa kicked the Avalanche's ass down in South Florida or North Florida, I should say. Um, Five nothing, and then the Avalanche came back, and they go overtime uh, with Tampa, and they end up losing four three. They get a point. They they're not in a position where they can just take one point at a time. It's starting to get down the road, and they need to start picking off two points a night. We know they need to get healthy and all those things, but I just don't want us to be talking in in May, going, yeah, you know what? They wasted a year was still a really talented roster. And I do look at Tampa, and the Avalanche beat them in the finals, but Tampa had won back-to-back. Tampa has this consistency of being elite that that's what the Avalanche need to strive for. And and, and you don't want it to be kind of a one-and-done thing where, yeah, the Avalanche had that marvelous year and and deserving of being Stanley Cup champions – and then the next year was kind of a thud. They got to take care of business, and I know there's been a myriad of injuries to key key people, but they got they got to get get going. You know, <laughs> it's not November or early December anymore. We're well into February. The Nuggets, um, you know, I know a lot of people are upset about the Bones Highland move. There's stuff that you and I don't always necessarily know. And so, pretty clearly, there was a reason, and some of it played out, and you know, in public, when Bones Highland left the bench um, late in his tenure with the Nuggets. But but there was a reason that they felt like they had to move on, and they just took the two second round picks and moved on down the road. I am excited about Reggie Jackson, um, who's a Colorado kid, being back in the fold. Mature, can shoot it, can handle the rock. Thought that was a good pickup after he was waived. Um, and I know that a lot of other teams in the West have gotten a lot of attention. Dallas with Kyrie Irving, Phoenix with getting Kevin Durant and, um, you know, Golden State still always gets a ton of attention. Steph Curry will be back soon. John Morant, you see that quote earlier this week saying, you know, he, the only team he's concerned about is Boston, as if it's a fate to complete that, that, that Memphis is, is going to walk and waltz through the uh, West. I like where the Nuggets are. And I'm not discouraged at all that they didn't make any enormous move. I like where the Nuggets are. And uh, this could be, could be, we'll see, the year where they truly have the uh, opportunity to win that elusive first championship. That'll do it for this edition of the Drew Goodman Podcast. Big thanks, as always, to uh, Marky for handling... uh, handling all the editing and and all the stuff I don't understand on his end, and uh, to uh, Steele and to Boyer's Coffee and to all of you and to the good folks at uh, Mile High Sports, where we are now uh, partnered up. So um, check out Mile High Sports, great podcasts, uh, good talk on the radio, and uh, a lot of terrific written material on all all the teams in our area. All right, talk to you again in seven days. Y'all be well, take care.